I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, this is a college football podcast, but it's hard not to get caught up in March Madness right now. It's the Monday after the first weekend of the tournament. I'd ask you how your bracket is doing, but I can see, because I'm in the same CBSSports.com pool as you, you are in second place, which is just so fitting and, and, and perfect because you literally called me 15 minutes before the first game started asking how you do it. How do you enter a bracket in this pool? Now, to be clear, your favorite expression, um, I was not asking you for, for for advice on the pool. I was just trying to figure out how the technology how it actually works. works. Getting getting yeah. me into it, yes. Uh, but the there's been, it was a, been some phenomenal games right up to the last game we saw last night, the Arizona game. Um, but probably the biggest story at, uh, of the of the weekend so far was an area not far from where you and I both used to work and it is in the New York City area it is St. Peter's and one of our best writers and guy who knows all things Kentucky happened to be there for it Kyle Tucker who joins us today on the audible we're going to talk some Kentucky football we're going to talk some Virginia Tech football but first we're going to talk a little tournament because it is just this is why we love March Madness was exactly this story. And I thought how Kyle delivered it was uh, was pretty amazing. Kyle, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's one of those cool things, right? Like I used to cover the tournament and you never know. You get assigned to a site. You have no idea if it's going to end up being like completely uneventful. Everybody you know, goes to seed or you end up seeing one of the wildest upsets in the history of the tournament. So, Kyle, you cover Kentucky. You're there for Kentucky. Describe what it was like to transition from that to being our St. Peter's writer. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I would say that I would say the traffic is a lot less when you're the St. Peter's <laughs> the web traffic when you're the St. Peter's uh, beat writer. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I'm still kind of in a state of shock a little bit. One, the Kentucky loss, but two, that St. Peter's just keeps kept winning. They they won again. They as we were leaving. Uh, the arena walking down the hallway. I was trying to follow the team to the press conference, St. Peter's team. And uh, Shaheen Holloway's agent was, I didn't know it was him at the time, but was trailing behind going Kentucky state champs, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which, you know, yeah. I mean, they beat, they beat a two seed in Kentucky and then they beat a Murray state team that was ranked a lot of the year. That was, I think on a 21 game winning streak and Murray and UK both left that arena, everybody involved, just like in a state of uh, shock. I mean, like the, the look of shock on people's faces during and after. And I like for the Kentucky game, I had a seat right behind Kentucky's bench uh, fortuitously. And yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there watching everybody involved with Kentucky 
just be like, what the hell is happening? Like, how is this happening? How do we stop it? And they couldn't stop it. I mean, St. Peter's was just coming at them. I mean, they've got uh, Casey and Defo, who was, you know, a terrific player. He was much better in the Murray State game. Um, you know, and then they got Doug, Doug Eddard, the the little short, pasty, mustachioed assassin <laughs> who, I mean, doesn't even start for them. So a guy who doesn't even start for a little St. Peter's that had never won an NCAA tournament game uh, basically dragged them to the Sweet 16. It, I, I still really – I haven't fully processed it. Like there have been several times over the last five days where I'm just like, what in the world? How? But that's what makes the NCAA tournament great. And it's what makes it unique. I know Stu has said this, and I kind of I, – I, part of me wants to cringe because we do a college football podcast, and really that's all – you know, Stu and I do. We don't do co- college basketball. I know Stu wasn't that far removed from being like the bra- the bubble or bracket guy a few years ago at Fox Sports. But, you know, the, the thing that is special about it is that. The fact that I don't know what the closest comparison to St. Petersburg, I'm saying St. Petersburg, St. Peter's would be doing in college football that that could happen where... We don't I have mean, it. We really there's don't. There's nothing that that correlates it's not like it's not you know they're not st peter's is not cincinnati or houston st peter's is you know austin p like i mean like yeah they're an f it's right they're like a fc like a mid-level fcs school beating uh georgia you know in football it just doesn't happen it would be like letting it would be like letting the 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 fcs teams into the college have a you know a much bigger college football playoff and letting the best FCS teams in, you know, and North Dakota state takes out Alabama. I mean, you know, it, I don't know. I mean, anything, if that's probably being too, like North Dakota state would probably be a fairly high seeded team, relatively speaking. Right. I mean, the 15 seeds in the NCAA tournament are the conference tournament champion. Did St. Peter's win the regular season or no? I honestly don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think they, 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 they did because they're 15. Yeah, they barely, they barely yeah, so, are, are here. Yeah. They're the conference tournament champion of one of like the 27th ranked conference, right? It's just, you know, but it is happening more frequently. Oral Roberts did this as a 15 seed last year. Florida well, Gulf. Florida Coast. Gulf. Coast, yeah. yeah. So, and, and you're talking about Kentucky has how, I mean, how many lottery picks or first round picks are they going to have off Not this off team? This, I mean, that's, that, that's one interesting thing about Kentucky this year, which makes it maybe a little less like outrageous. Uh, you know, there's only one guy for sure. Um, a freshman who's going to be even drafted at all. I mean, well, in, in the first round, uh, you know, if Oscar comes out, uh, he's probably a sec- high second round pick, maybe a, a late first round pick, but they've got like two pros, right? You know, current pros um, on this roster. It's a bunch of transfers. Cal tried to build it a different way. I think that's what's so disappointing for Kentucky fans. Like this was the team that Cal tried to do differently. You know, it, it, right. They actually have they veterans. played one freshman. You know, they, they have a West Virginia transfer and Oscar Shibway, who's the national player. Of the year. That's the other like Kentucky did have the national player of the year who had 30 yeah. and 16 in that game and they lost. Um, but, you know, brings in all these transfers. They only play one freshman with any regularity all year. And people were like, OK, this is what we want. This is the right way to do it. Like, thank you, Cal, for fixing this. And now they all hate him again because. Uh, that flopped too. And it flopped in like humiliating fashion. Kentucky had never a lot of, I mean, everybody, just about everybody in college basketball, all the blue bloods, all the big name coaches have had this really heinous upset, right? Kay has had a few of them, you know, uh, Bill Self has had a bunch of them notably. Uh, Everybody has. Cal had never had that. 
he'd never had in the NCAA tournament a like, how did you lose that game? In Kentucky, you know, in, in general, and it's, you know, 100 plus year history had never lost to a seed lower than an 11 seed. Um, so to lose to a 15 is like this very shocking and, and humiliating thing blow to their pride on the heels of, by the way, the worst last year was the worst season at Kentucky in almost 100 years. So th- that one two punch, I think, is really uh, frustrated Kentucky people. But it's, you know, to the delight of the rest of the country <laughs> and, to, and to the glory of you know, St. Peter's, it's like, you know, you've done this really unthinkable thing. So, I mean, Before I think we, we, as, as you know, casual college basketball fans, just assume Calipari is one of the best coaches in the sport, widely regarded that way and beloved at Kentucky. But now, I don't know, it's heat of the moment. I don't know how much you can read into Twitter, comment sections. What I mean, the comments on your story from the game were all like, yeah, yeah we're done. Yeah, with there were like 300 <laughs> comments on that story. And yeah, a lot like of he can't, he's lost He's lost it. Um, he, he's not a good. I mean, there was always some people who thought he was a great recruiter, not a great in-game coach. And Stu, if you did, if you worked for our college basketball vertical after the last year and a half, you would have Calipari and just missed the cut. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. But seriously, like, is that a, a vocal minority, or is the Kentucky fan base really turning on this guy who won a national championship and has produced eight gazillion? Uh, NBA players. Can we pivot this for a second? Uh, Stu, Stu have mentioned this before, and I think it's a better question to ask you, Kyle, especially since this is a college football podcast. Stu floated the idea that Mark Stoops, who we both think has done a terrific job, um, right now is probably more the darling of the Kentucky fan base than than John Calipari. Is that accurate, do you think? Yeah, I do. Um, Because it's all about relative to expectations. and, and relative to expectations, Mark Stoops is, is way above. I mean, no Kentucky fan, no, no semi-realistic real, Kentucky fan ever could have dreamed that a guy would come uh, who had no previous head coaching experience and lead them to this, like, glory era where they, you know, they went 40 years between 10-win seasons, and now they have two in the last four years. You know, they didn't have – their their little trophy case in the old football facility before Stoops got there. And now they've, you know, he, one of one of the conditions of taking the job is like, you're going to have to fix all this terrible crap that you have, like fix your dumpy stadium, build a practice facility. And, you know, now that he's got the, now that he's swinging the big, the big stick, especially this season, um, he basically said, you're going to, uh, you're going to give me an indoor practice facility or a better one. And that and they're getting that too. But before, before they completely transformed their facilities, which were right there with Vanderbilt as the worst in the SEC, they had this dumpy little training facility and this sad, sad little trophy case. I mean, it was embarrassing. And now they've got this trophy case with, you know, Gator Bowl and Citrus Bowl and, um, you know, all these bowl trophies. Um, they have been in games in November against Georgia. They haven't gone well, but, you know, that's to no one's great surprise. But they've been in games with Georgia in November to get to the SEC championship, to be like, to be in position, you know, de facto um, East SEC East elimination games with Georgia. And that's a pretty crazy place for Kentucky to be that like relative to historical expectations, Mark Stoops is, you know, five miles above them relative to Kentucky expectations where, and Calipari's always said this, like, Calipari at the beginning when everything was going great, he leaned way into this idea that like, we don't move the needle. We are the needle. He would say, you know, we are college bat, all these like 
grandiose things. They don't hang anything but Final Four banner and championship banners here, which is true. Um, well, then if you haven't been to a Final Four since 2015, and this was the 10-year anniversary of your one national championship, and because of what Stu said, because they have had eight gazillion NBA draft picks and lottery picks and three number one picks and only one title. I mean, you had the, like, the deepest, most talented team you could assemble in 2015, and you got to the Final Four 38-1, you lost to 38-0, and you lost to Wisconsin, which I don't think they had like, one, one draft pick, two draft picks. I think there were seven on that Kentucky team. Um, relative to expectation, Cal is, is beneath them. Cal, I mean, frankly, what, what Kentucky fans, real, fairly or not, what they expect from their basketball program, for the last seven years, Cal has not met those uh, expectations. And during that exact same span, and that, the other problem for him is like it lines up, like the exact same seven-year span, Stoops has, has well overshot expectations. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Just just for the record, this is Calipari since the 2015 season. Second round, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Elite Eight. Uh, would have been a very high seed in the year that it got canceled. 9-16 and 16 last year, the, like you said, worst season in, in ages, and then first-round exit this year. But to Mark Stoops, you know, who I think uh, generally flies under the radar when people discuss the top coaches in the country, how do you describe, you, you know, you're close to that program. How do you describe kind of what his formula is? Because I know what it's not. This is not like he got a bunch of generational quarterbacks, you know, like that is not what you associate Kentucky football with. How has he? How does he do this year after year? He, I mean, I think consistency is is really the thing. Like consistency in message, kind of um, consistency in approach, in in intensity level. In, I, I think there's something to like the idea of of loyalty. You know, I don't know if it's the Youngstown in him, but like he has uh, he has a lot of loyalty from his staff, a lot of loyalty from his players. The fact that like uh, Liam Cohen was going to turn everybody down to stay with him unless it was the Rams and, you know, he left for the Rams, but I mean, he did turn some people down. Bruce knows this quite well and would have turned others down uh, to stay with Mark. The fact that he's held on to his Brad White, his defensive coordinator, who's also had a million people knocking on his door. Um, you know, Vince Marrow, when you're, when you're a like bona fide like top 10 recruiter in America at Kentucky, and you do it for a decade, um, everybody is going to try to steal you, especially when you're going and getting those guys out of Ohio and Michigan. And, you know, he's locked down Kentucky. He's gone other places too. Um, 
you know, Michigan's looked at him. Michigan State has looked at him. You know, I'm sure there have been others. All those guys have stayed. And so, you know, I, it maybe sounds a little hokey, but I think, uh, I think loyalty is a pretty important piece of um, what he's built at Kentucky. And there's, you know, you start talking about culture again, maybe a little bit cliche, but they do seem to have something of a culture there where, you know, one, they are getting better players than they've ever gotten. But, but when you look at a lot of the like star players or the best players that come out of there, they often still end up being the guys that they're, they're the first to identify. Uh, you know, the first big boys to identify anyway. The Josh Allen story, the other Josh Allen, is one of the all-timers. I mean, that guy had one offer from an FCS program, and nobody, you know, they, they, he's from Jersey, and they're begging Rutgers to give him an offer, and they, they don't do it. And Kentucky adds him and turns him into, the you know, all-time sacks and tackles for lost guy and, you know, consensus national player of the year and a top-ten pick. Um it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. I don't, I don't think anybody could have ever imagined that you could, you could do this consistently at Kentucky, but and the other piece of it is it seems like he's happy here. Like this is maybe the sweet spot for him. You know, he's from Youngstown, so it's not far. Um, this lets him sort of stay connected to the Ohio roots. It lets them tap into that Ohio pipeline. Um, this like region of the country seems to fit him. He's really into bourbon. I think he's in, invested now in his own bourbon brand. Um, the Stoops brothers really cornering the liquor, market. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, tequila, yeah. I'd love to do. I wonder. I wonder Bob. if they're competitive on 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 uh, tequila versus bourbon sales in their uh, in their brotherly rivalry. But yeah, he he seems happy at Kentucky. The fact that they've held on to him is also pretty impressive. I would be curious uh, to get your answer because we'll get into this in a minute. But like, so you covered Virginia Tech when when Virginia Tech was going really strong under Frank Beamer. Um, but I also, so now we've seen Georgia in the division just win an SEC title and a uh, sorry win a national title. We have Billy Napier doing a reboot on Florida. I think Stu and I both think he will do a good job there. Tennessee. Uh, as we're taping this not long uh, before, just got its first five-star quarterback recruit in 20 years. And Tennessee folks have really ramped up the commitment there. As you said, two top, two 10-win seasons in the last four years. Will Levis is back. Now, obviously, Liam Cohen has moved on. Rich Scangarello comes in from the NFL uh, to run the offense. Do you think after, like, the next step – is is a top 10 season right. or more you think that's going to happen i don't know I, you know it's the the problem is you as you reel off all those things and look at you know i think shane beamer is going to do a good job at, at south carolina you know you look at the competition right i mean drinkwitz at missouri is recruiting at a at a very high level um yeah. you know some of some of what's happened is certainly you know, come at a period where like the rest of the East other than Georgia has been um, gettable and do they stay gettable? You know, does that, does that make that climb harder? Because I mean, it's, it's relentless. I mean, that's the, that's one of the, the issues and probably has been over the years and, and has been, again, what's impressive about Stoops is like to, to hold on to that. Like once you climb a couple of rungs in the SEC to hold on to it because it's so important to every school in the SEC and the money is so big and that like nobody else is go just going to like stay content losing forever. So they're going to make changes and bring in the next guy and the next guy until they hit on the right coach too. Um, can you hold all those people off? 
Um, and does your position, you know, where you are, help you hold them off? I don't know. I, I think it's really tough. I think, I think Stoops is pretty close to having maxed out what, can, what Kentucky can do. But then again, you know, when you, stay, when you stay up here at this higher plane for long enough, you get to be thought of a little differently by recruits. And, you know, I've talked to him about that before. Like, what, what is the thing that gets you to the next step? And to me, it's, you know, and to him, if you're in that program that's kind of hovering, it's to break through with like the, the couple of huge, huge prospects, right? Like some guy that's just an absolute dynamite game changer. If you can get. Well, what happens if like, what happens if like Will Levis has as big an arm as anybody right. in college football, he can run, you know, this, he didn't have a spring last year with Liam. And I'm not saying he's like, it seems like every year there is a quarterback who comes completely off the radar and blows up. Wouldn't shock me if he was him. If Liam stayed another year, I would bet, would have bet money that it would have been Will Levis to take the next big step and have a huge year. Now, he doesn't have great skill talent with, you know, there, but he could be that guy, I think. Yeah. No? I mean, like, I think what they were going for last year with Levis and Cohen was to be, um, LSU 2019 light, you know, with hitting on Joe Brady and, ha- and having the quarterback that, that, you know, the big time program maybe didn't have use for, but you saw something in. And, you know, if you think about, um, if you think about Joe Burrow, like his first year at, at LSU under, it was like, it was good, but it wasn't like what happened the next right. year. It was the next year was crazy. Um, and so, they didn't have the receivers, Wandell aside. They did not have Jamar Chase, Justin right. Jefferson, right. Terrace. Right. And so, the- you know, that, and that's the big difference. Like, I don't know that Kentucky can really address that issue. I think they're going to be okay. You know, they recruited a bunch of guys and they brought in, you know, Virginia Tech's best wide receiver. They're going to have some guys. Um, that is a question if he's got the talent around it. But I do think, yeah, he, he's set up to make a big jump. And, I, and, a, and a big part of why Stoops was so um, hell-bent on, like, continuity, at least in, in – the theme, you know, the themes, the overarching themes and approach and philosophy of the offense after Cohen left was, was because of his quarterback. Like he, he wants, he wants to see Levis make that big leap. Cause obviously that's the biggest place you can do it. If you have a superstar quarterback, it, you know, it can take you to places that you, you know, otherwise you just can't get to. Cause they've, they've had elite running backs. They've had elite defensive uh, linemen. They've had, you know, first and second round picks in the secondary. Uh, they've had great offensive lines. The one thing that's been missing under Stoops is like they haven't had a superstar quarterback. And Levis kind of flirted with that a little bit at times last year. He had, he made some plays like go look, go watch the LSU tape and watch the Louisville game when he was like hurdling guys and, and running by them. Um, if he can take another step, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the difference. It's still not enough to me to beat Georgia, but is it enough to be, you know, second in the East but top ten in the country? Maybe. I mean, I don't I'm not trying to put down Will Levis, but I think it's going to, it would take, I mean, I, th- I think you, you talk, what's the next, I think as long as he is recruiting and coaching at a level where they're in the mix to win nine games, maybe 10 games, most years, then yeah, if they can strike gold in the transfer portal and get their version of Cam Newton coming to Auburn in 2010, um, then I, then I think you can maybe rise up and have that special year but it's probably going to take some perfect storm kind of circumstances. Like, you know, Georgia would have to have a down year. 
whoever comes out of the West, I don't know, you know, if it's not Alabama, it's going to be somebody good enough to, to beat out Alabama. That's tough, but the, he's got the program in, in a really good position. And, you know, I just think being in the mix every year or, or being right, you know, being right that top of that next tier. Um, look, when, when I started following the sport, Tennessee and Florida, that was, the SEC East was always Tennessee and Florida. Now Georgia has risen up, but Kentucky has had a better program than Tennessee and Florida for some time now. So it's pretty impressive. Um, Bruce, you want to ask about Virginia Tech? So for people who follow have followed Kyle's work on Kentucky for a while, maybe remember he covered Virginia Tech and was on the Hokies beat for a long time. Uh, and I don't know if this is going to stay on the podcast or not. One of my favorite things to, inch, to be around Kyle on Media Day events was always to hear Kyle's stories about one legendary colleague of his on the Virginia Tech beat. I don't know if we're going to say his name or not. All I know is he's this particular person screamed of an HBO comedy character. Yeah. And Kyle, please share your favorite story that you can tell about this particular person. Uh, yeah, there are a lot that I can't tell and some that I'll probably have to like edit to, uh, I might have to change the, change some of the details to protect the not so innocent, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, his name is Randy King. Uh, he was, he was known as nappy, um, around the, um, around the, the beat. And he was just, just like loud, larger than life, uh, very Southern fried guy who he retired like yeah, five retired, years ago. From yeah. A while back. I think he's still like freelancing or something like that. Um, he was just this hilarious figure that like was covering Virginia tech forever. And, you know, he he would he would get going he'd be a loud talker he'd be a close talker there's a couple one we were at the acc kickoff one year and i think it was at like pinehurst it was like some very very fancy golf resort you know and and we're in the uh, you know media the media uh hospitality room which those things barely even exist anymore but uh the free drinks were flowing and uh, one of the older Virginia Tech players, he's like 23, so he wanders in and he starts having a drink with us, which I don't think anybody at Virginia Tech would have been happy about. This huge defensive lineman uh, named Carlton Powell. And Randy is already a few free drinks in, and he starts kind of lean- – he would like like kind of peck at you. He was like leaning in, you know, close talking, gets a little gets a little bit of the spittle in the, in the corner of his mouth as he's – He's like, hey, Carlton, Carlton. And he's just like close talking him, close talking him. And Carlton's backing up and backing up and backing up. And all of a sudden we see smoke coming from Carlton Powell, like behind him. And he, Randy had backed him up into a table with a candle on it and caught him, caught him, <laughs> and caught him, caught him on fire. <laughs> and, and it was a, it was a pretty uh, tense scene. I mean, he had to be, he had to be put out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh my goodness! Can you imagine if he like, he, oh no, if he if he like had a serious health injury, a serious injury, and it was because of a media member. Yeah, Randy K can't can't play this season. He is he's been set on fire by Randy <laughs> King. Uh, <laughs> um, and then the other one, uh, Randy once uh, went to cover um, um, Corey Moore winning the uh, I think it was the Nagurski. You know, he won all the national awards. And, and Corey Moore was like, Randy, you drive this trophy home for me. And Randy's like, yeah, sure. So Randy like <laughs> drives it. I think it was like New York. I don't know. I don't know where that award ceremony is, wherever it was, Randy had driven to, and he was in his like Chevy Lumina 
and he, he's driving in, late at night, driving it back to Virginia. He gets across the state line. He gets pulled over. <laughs> and the, the state trooper walks up, and he's like, he's like, sir, do you know how fast you're going? And he's like, wait, what is that? And he said, it's, uh, he said, it's Corey Moore's Bronco Nagurski Award. And he was like, can I take a picture with it? <laughs> and so, so Randy and this guy, this, this cop, take a picture with the Bronco Nagurski Award, and he lets Randy... Randy go on his way, but Randy, Randy's life is like full of these uh, stories that are almost like too ridiculous to be true. But having witnessed uh, several of them with my own eyes, um, they're all true. That's the, that's my favorite part about covering a beat is 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 the like constellation of characters that sort of orbit these beats over the years. Some of the long timers. Danny McBride could probably probably get cast as the that's where I'm seeing it. So, all right. So behind the scenes of our of our podcast here, when I was trying, when I found out Kyle was going to be on, I, I've heard some of these great stories, um, but I tried to Google Corey Moore and Randy King, and I stumbled upon something that blew my mind because I had never seen it before. And full disclosure, neither had Stu or Kyle, and then this predates Kyle on the Virginia Tech beat. But in, for people who are too, too young to remember, Corey Moore was a, it was an absolute freaking demon coming off the edge. Like he was a very, very undersized edge rusher. And he was, they had a great cornerback at the same time, Ike Charlton. Ike Charlton might've even been bigger than the, the edge rusher was, but Corey Moore was just a monster. So, at, so as I'm, I see this interview that he did Corey Moore at what looks like media day for the Sugar Bowl. It is a spectacular 92 seconds. It's like a WWF promo, right? And so I showed you guys, what is the reaction of Corey Moore of media days? Uh, are you, are we going to put, are you going to put it in the, uh, is, are we going to hear the, audience? I think we should, I vote for yes. Please put it in. I mean, it, but because also you'll, you'll know, you'll note in there that Randy pops in. And, and sort of the affection, like a lot of players and coaches love Randy King, this, this wild character who, yes, absolutely Danny McBride would and should play. If you want to try to imagine who Randy King was, it's like basically Danny, Danny McBride, um, his, his uh, far-fetched characters. But yeah, I, we should put it in. And I can't believe we were talking about this. If this was today, this clip would be, have been viewed like 20 million times. It's, it's, almost unthinkable that it didn't become like national news i mean i that was the very first national title game i covered at 23 years old i don't know if i was at that media day or not but regardless like you think you would think word of that interview would be <laughs> circulating everywhere and well, I, don't, yeah, I mean it, it, it feels legendary but it's not legendary because i'd never heard of it before there used to be more it's the kind yeah. of thing where it, it it predates all social media right so there's that I think it's like, but it, it's not like it happened at like, at like the the Independence Bowl either. Like it happened at a major <laughs> bowl when Virginia Tech was won. Yeah, it's like a huge game. It's not a random player. He was like Their star, other than Vic, he, he yeah. was the biggest star on defense. Other than yeah, other than Michael Vick, he was the guy. Like um, that were that were today, just, Sports Center would be airing that you know with bleeped out on the hour leading up to the, the clock, game. Yeah. yeah. We need to air it, not bleeped out. <laughs> not bleeped out, yes. I vote for not bleeped out. People know it's coming. Yeah. You just kind of, if you have a little kid in the room, yeah. hold yeah, his mute, ears. Mute, hold mute her ears. for a minute, but yeah. Oh, my gosh. Corey, I'll start off with an easy What do you plan on doing tonight? You going to celebrate? Celebrate for what? 
New Year's Eve, man. I don't give a damn about New Year's. <laughs> I got to come down here to win a national championship. I can care less about the new millennium crap. Stand in the hotel, just like the whole team. We're standing in the hotel. Nobody's going out. Next question. How you guys been handling the media coverage? Fuck you guys. I, don't, I mean, you, you guys aren't going to win, win for us. Who cares? I mean, you guys write your little story. You like to write, write stuff. Write what I'm saying now. I don't care. You like the right stuff? How you doing, Randy? Hey, man, what's up? I don't, I don't care. You guys aren't going to win for us. You guys aren't going to play for us. That's a stupid question. Next question. You got your game face on earlier? You I always have my game face on. I don't particularly care about this city too much. I'm not too excited about being here right now. I'm not too excited about you guys got all these cameras on my face. Next question. One more question. I'm out of here. You talk about Chris Blankey. Um, I particularly don't care to talk about him right now. You want to write a story? Write about how I diss you guys. Get the hell out of my face. All right, Kyle, as always, it's a blast talking to you. For people who want to check out Kyle's work, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH. Um, but also, we really encourage you to go find his story on The Athletic about St. Peter's and... Stu, what's the what? Not the disclaimer. What's the thing about um, the audible.com for? I'm sorry, you can get it. Yeah, for a theathletic.com slash the audible dollar a month. Amazing deal. Read all of our March Madness coverage. It's pretty good. Thank you very much. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business. You want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Bruce, um, back to football matters, and, and we are going to hit some emails here in a minute. But first, 
Uh, speaking of stories on The Athletic, a story went up on The Athletic Monday morning by Jason Jenks and Mike Sando uh, about inside the one-year, you know, disastrous Urban Meyer tenure at Jacksonville and some of the anecdotes in there uh, from players and coaches who were there are pretty staggering. Uh, and they fall into two categories. One, him belittling, uh, question, you know, suggesting the players weren't smart enough to do anything but play football, etc. And Urban Meyer apparently didn't very know very much about the NFL to the point where he had to ask, who is this number 99 guy on the Rams that I've been hearing about? Uh, so all in all, not, not a good uh, sign. Putting aside the I don't know who the guys in the NFL are, let's just focus on the culture thing. Um, and look, we started to hear things like this during the season with the story about the kicker, which is actually when they fired him after that. Um, why do you think we never heard stories like this when he was a college coach? Is it that he wasn't doing it and it's an NFL thing? Or is it that maybe it was happening, but because college players are much less likely to speak up? Uh, I don't know. What is your theory? It's uh, a good question. I would guess some of it was he was so far out of his comfort zone that I think, you know, he probably went to, you know, I, I think some of the things were there was probably some desperation in there, right? I mean, one of the things you and I talked about and a lot of people talked about was what's it going to, like, how is he going to react when he starts losing and he's going to start losing? He's never lost like this before. Now, some of these things sound like they had happened before the losing actually started, though, too. Um, and so I think there's that piece of it. I also think there's something to be said for when you're dealing with grown men, as opposed to dealing with 17 and 18 year olds where the power dynamic is different. Uh, I think there are some people who would say, well, when he was at Ohio state and certainly at Florida and there was overlap, there was a collection of, of support people around him who kind of, I don't want to say they insulated him, but I do think there was a comfort in that for him. And maybe they could translate some of this stuff for him whether it was Charlie Strong at UF or certainly Mickey Marotti at, at both of those places and some other guys. Um, I, I think those were, those were things there. It's, um, you know, I, I think so much of it is dealing with men as opposed to dealing with, with 17 and 18 year olds. And also, um, you know, like I had somebody, uh, I, another media person I know, you know, asked me a question about this. And this is an NFL uh, writer after the story came out and we were talking about Florida versus compared to Ohio state. And I, to me, the, one of the big differences was he had a lot of talent and collected a lot of talent at both places. I think there were, I think there were better character guys that he had at Ohio state, certainly than what he had at Florida. And I think so less stuff came to the surface when he was at um, in Columbus than what he was sort in Gainesville because people knew there was a lot of police blotter stuff at UF. And whereas at Ohio State, you know, the most alarming thing that we know of that came out was really re was related to one of his longtime assistants, not one of his players. And so I think that dynamic was a little, was certainly different. I mean, it's telling that players, active NFL players were willing to go on the record for this. DJ Chark uh, is is quoted extensively. Here's a quote of his. He feels like threats are what motivates. I know he would come up to us and tell us if the receivers weren't doing good. He wasn't going to fire us. He was going to fire our coach. He would usually say that when the coach was around. 
I mean, another thing to this is that I think times have changed. I think it was probably pretty commonplace for coaches to quote unquote motivate this way for, for many generations. And I think about, well, who did Urban Meyer come up under? Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz was well known for uh, MFing guys left and right. And, um, you know, some of this stuff might have been tame for him, but there's just the, 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 there's been a cultural shift and, Players don't put up with this stuff now. Um, and I don't, I, I, what I'll forever wonder is like, how much did the 2018 scandal, um, the Zach Smith scandal, and everything change him as a coach? Because it, it was the first thing that had ever really gone truly wrong for him. He wins national championships, gets all these accolades. And now there, he goes through the situation where he almost got fired or the media was tearing him apart. And I don't know, like, did it make him more paranoid? Did it make him, um, I don't know. It just seems like maybe he wasn't the same coach after that. Why don't you say we get to the, to the mailbag? As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. Stu, tell me the first one. All right. This is from Andrew and the subject of the email is non SEC conference leverage. Hey guys, you discussed on the last episode how you thought the Pac-12 may be losing its leveraging position when it comes to playoff expansion that the SEC may look to implement its own plan. However, I think the opposite may end up happening. One issue I'm curious about that I haven't heard discussed elsewhere is that by having so many traditional powerhouse teams from the same conference, the SEC, they'll play each other on a regular basis through the regular season. How does an expanded playoff with up to 12 teams differentiate itself from the SEC regular season? Isn't part of the lure from the bowls and the playoffs to get matchups between teams who wouldn't otherwise play each other due to geography and conference affiliation. If you're the other conferences, doesn't this actually give you leverage since eventually fans will eventually lose interest in those games and not wanting to see repeat matchups? Um, I don't, I think people think that if there's a 12 team playoff, the SEC is going to like put half the teams in. I don't think that's going to be the case. Maybe they get three, maybe they get four. And I also think that the same exact thing it could happen from the Big Ten. Uh, I believe Max Olson, when the 12-team thing was first announced as a possibility, ran the numbers, and it was actually the Big Ten, not the SEC, that would have gained the most uh, playoff spots over the years. So um, I just think the reason the SEC has all the leverage is because they're the ones who keep winning the national championship, and you can't have a credible playoff without the SEC. Yeah, and I, I think ultimately it's like, what do you – it just comes down to that, right? It, it just feels like if somebody was not part of the SEC's version of the playoff, it would just not seem like it would have any any meat behind it, right? And I think it would be hard for people given this isn't 2001 or 2002. So much has changed in how we look at the, the, the top of the food chain in the college football in the last 20 years. It wasn't like this. I mean, there was always passionate fan bases, but it wasn't like this till two thousand, really, till the mid two thousands when SEC yeah. went on this crazy run. It's true. I'm old enough to remember when uh, at SI.com we did. This is kind of crazy to think now, but this was around two thousand three, and and we did like a themed package about like who are the most powerful people in college football, who are the most powerful programs, which are the most powerful conferences. I remember Miami was considered the most powerful program if that tells you what what era we were in um and the most powerful conference we said was 
the Big Ten or the Big 12. It was not the SEC. That the SEC was just not regarded that way at the time. Maybe it was by SEC fans. But, you know, the fact that Auburn got left out in 2004 as the undefeated SEC champ, that would never happen today. Um, Scott Saxton, Windsor, Ontario, frequent writer to the podcast. Um, I'm 50 years old and I've been smitten with college football since the first game I ever watched on TV, which was the 1981 Sugar Bowl. Bruce, who was in the 1981 Sugar Bowl? Jeez. Um, is that the, uh, the pit game against Georgia? Um, well, that's definitely Herschel Walker era Georgia, but I thought they played, I'll just look it up. He's referring to... Oh, yes, Georgia-Notre Dame. Georgia-Notre Dame. Because the 81 Sugar Bowl, so it's the 80 season. Okay. That's when Georgia clinched its national championship. Ah, that was a tangent. I'm consumed with the game and all its trappings year-round, especially on fall Saturdays. I'm going to condense here a little bit. Um, He travels to the big house to watch Big Ten games. Um, His attic is filled with videotapes of random games I've recorded and rewatched several times over all these years. It's always been, college football has always been number one for me when it comes to sports, entertainment, and attention. Here comes the but. Until recently, the past couple years, I feel like that all that I have loved about it is slowly falling apart. Have either of you felt this way or heard of others who feel the same as me? Why do I feel this way? Talk me off the ledge. He doesn't say any specifics of what's causing this, but I assume he's referring to NIL, transfer portal, conference realignment, any or all of the above. You know, all of this rapid change that's affecting the sport that we love. So, and I feel like we talked about this a week ago where I, I, you know, parroted something I saw from Andy, which is like, why do you care how much the chef is making at the restaurant you go to or whatever kind of thing? Um, Like, if you operate under the prism and maybe, look, we're too close to it because we cover college football. And I mean, I've covered recruiting and, you know, been around a lot of coaches where, operating under the premise that a lot of guys are getting paid under the table or whatnot. Um, And that teams have won championships over the years and years and years with that, that like whether they're getting paid or not, or whether there's recruiting incentives or not. I don't know. I uh, See, for me, even as we were talking a minute ago, you were talking about him talking about going to the big house. Like, there's something very visceral for me about going to games. And, you know, look, look, I'm on the sideline, so I'm I'm breathing in the air of it. And I'm getting, you know, like the smells of it and the sounds of it. And there's something that is, like I said, is very visceral. I love that about the sport. It's a connection to me um, that isn't changing. And so... I am not of, I am the person where I love the sport as much now, but I don't have, you know, it's not like I'm living and dying with one team, you know, whereas maybe some other fans can be that way, but I don't like the things that, that kind of annoy me about the sport a little bit, um, are still very minor. It's like the reviews of targeting kind of thing, you know, like I didn't have a problem. I know maybe some other of my colleagues in the media did about the new, you know, like the overtime rules being tweaked. Didn't, you know, it's like, I kind of roll with all that. I still think it's the best sport. I love everything about the, about the, the color around the sport. NIL doesn't bother me. You know, I don't have to manage a roster. So, uh, transfer, like I'm, I'm positive that there's 
that there is tampering going on. Uh, conference realignment doesn't bother me. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Well, he's mainly asking, have we heard that from other people? And the answer is, I've heard that a lot on Twitter and but in comment sections. But people bitch about everything on Twitter. Yeah, I'm so saying I'm, I don't I'm, know how reflective that is of real life. Um, I would also say that... How do I phrase this? Is it any of those specific things that are turning people off? Or, it, or they are saying they are turning them off? Or is it just change? I think we all, you know, we all have a, he's saying his first memories from 1981, you know, mine are from the late 80s. We all have this picture in our head of like when college football, as we first knew it. And so every iteration from then, like takes you further away from the version of college football that you, that made you love the sport. And there just so happens in the last year plus, there have been more major changes to college sports, frankly, but also college football, um, than probably at any time. Just just the the collision of you know, transfer. I mean, the whole history, right? We knew transfer. You transfer, got to sit out a year. That's not the case anymore. Players can't make any money. That's not the case anymore. Um, Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. Just all of this drastic change. Uh, but the other thing I would say is. This has always been the case. Matt Brown, our, our editor and college football historian, dot loves to uh, tweet out random newspaper clippings from a long time ago. This is from a hundred years ago. This headline: Professionalism sees a menace to intercollegiate football. Intercollegiate football will be wiped out within the next few years unless it is pur- unless it is purged of professionalism. Lotus D. Kaufman, president of the university, said University of Minnesota said in an address for Chicago alumni last night. College athletics are on trial, he said. The attention of fair-minded men was attracted to college football when recent troubles turned the spotlight on Illinois, Notre Dame, Purdue, and several other universities. That unhealthy conditions existed was new to the public, but those of us on the inside knew that the outbreak was simply an indication of what has been bubbling and boiling behind the scenes for years. The worst thing with which we have to contend today is the effort by certain persons to procure players to purchase football teams. Of late, we have become tremendously interested in championships, the question is not how much value the student derived, but who will win the championship. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's like Dodd wrote it. And he might have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for as long as there's been college football, as long as, the thing that, that, that makes college football particularly scandal, uh, what am I trying to say, that, you know, puts it, is recruiting. You know, the, the pro, pro teams have drafts and free agency and these very, formal organized ways for the teams to acquire talent recruiting is a free-for-all and it always has been and we know the famous stories about you know eric dick eric dickerson and his cars and and so on and so forth so i think i if i had to guess what scott is feeling and i'm not trying to downplay it i think a lot of people may feel this way right now is whiplash there's so much drastic change at once but to your point is that drastic change? If you loved watching Michigan games at the big house, are you going to be thinking about any of that on the first Saturday of this coming season when Michigan runs out of the tunnel Can or I, when, uh, you know, the, the band comes onto the field at your favorite stadium? I'm not specific to Michigan. Can I, I don't a, think so. Can I float a theory here? And it could be totally off base. And I don't, I, you know, I apologize, Scott, if this is nowhere on your radar of it. 
and I don't want to steer it directly to him. I think this is in general to some of the stuff you're talking about. I feel like because we, including myself, are so stuck on this thing, my phone, and so stuck on technology and social media that we are constantly getting peppered. I don't want to say bombarded, but constantly peppered with outrage and things that are disturbing and things that are sad and things that are annoying. And it just, you're just constantly being like unsettled and poked that I feel like it's hard to enjoy a lot of things because you're seeing either the worst examples of it or things that maybe are, you know, just don't sit right. And I feel like that has a role in it, I think. The biggest threat to the popularity of the sport right now, to you me. Just, you, you're just dismissing what I said. Oh, I think it's a great theory. I don't, I mean, it's actually one of the deepest theories that's ever been, ever been said on this podcast. I didn't know how to respond to it. Um, I think the biggest threat, if you will, is not these things we were just talking about. It's, well, it is something we were just talking about on the last email question, which is this regionalism, this consolidation of power in one part of the country. You know, if you're a Pac-12 fan, if you're a fan of the, what's about to be kind of a stripped down version of the Big 12, that to me would af- would affect your interest in the game if you feel like we just don't have a seat at the table. We're not, we're not part of the big show. Um, not that this sport has ever been a level playing field by any means, um, but not, but never has it been as, uh, exclusive a club as it is right now. And so the question is, will NIL help alleviate that? Will it make it even worse? Will it just balance each other out? We don't know yet or transfer portal for that matter. We just don't know yet, but, um, to me, that's the, the biggest issue the sport is facing, and it's one without any real solution. Now, after we just spent a long time answering that question, I wonder, I'm going to email Scott. I wonder if it'll turn out that he's referring to something completely different <laughs> than what we were just discussing. I, but I've heard a lot of variations of, you know, especially since I wrote the story about the kid with the $8 million NIL contract. This is the death of college football. So I'm assuming it has something to do with that. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Music